0: You're listening to At The Corner with Matthew Schmidt. Join us as we hear stories from founders and leaders who are in the trenches and share their stories of startup and scale-up. In raw conversation, we unpack what has gone right and what could have gone better and how to ultimately improve organizational health to grow the next big company. Now, here's your host, Matthew Schmidt. Hello. Welcome to
1: another episode of the At The Corner podcast, where we talk with founders, CEOs, and leaders of growth stage companies and share their stories with you, the listener. I'm Matt Schmidt, your host. Today, we're joined by my friend Gil Alush, uh CEO and founder of Metadata, the first demand generation platform for B2B marketers who need to get closer to the revenue. Gil,
0: welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: So whenever we start this, we always like to to break the ice a little bit. Can you maybe tell us what your favorite TV show or movie was when you were growing up?
0: Oh, favorite TV show. Uh, I mean, one of my favorites was Family Guy, huh? uh, and Simpsons. I guess also if you go a little bit earlier in age, yeah, big fans of those.
1: Fantastic. I think that's. Uh, that's a first here on the show. We haven't heard those yet, and that's. <laughs> but no, I love. Uh, sometimes it, it's a little scary how close to reality uh, those shows get, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, Gil, tell us a little bit about metadata.
0: So, metadata started as a kind of uh, an experiment I made. You know, I was a I'm an engineer in my background, and I ended up in marketing uh, in B two B for almost a decade. I programmed everything from the way I was going after targets to the way I was experimenting with my marketing. And at some point I wanted to see if I could make myself a commodity. Um, I remember I was at even an event by Bessemer ventures, uh, to talk to marketers. And then I kind of talked a little bit about this experimentation methodology. And so many were interested that in the coffee break, I changed my LinkedIn, uh, to say founder and CEO. Uh, I think it was stealth back then, but uh, that was my first market test that, there is a a big pain for B two B marketers in guaranteeing and predicting their their demand, and uh, what better way of doing it all the way to execution? That's our company.
1: No, that's a that's a fantastic story that uh, you you got to test the you know get some market validation right there live um, while you're you know while you're actually talking to people at, at an event. So you know you were. And are an engineer I think you never really stop being an engineer uh, probably much to the chagrin of your VP of engineering sometimes Um, you know how did you become a marketer how did you get into marketing uh, with an engineering background
0: Uh, I wanted so I came to the US in uh, 2007 to do my MBA and my goal after was I never touched the business side Uh, I always I was a coder or engineering manager you know I would release uh, the product, but pretty much no, no access to the PNL duties. And so, after I finished my uh, my MBA, the first job I got was in product, but it was still very, very technical. While doing product, um, the CMO gave me a, a job offer, and that was kind of how I got into it. Um, product marketing was my official job, but actually, the CMO uh, gave me a, a project and told me hey, if you're a new, like you're a green MBA, like if you fail this, no one cares, but if you succeed, uh, you know, it could be an interesting project for you. And he gave me essentially the cloud version of our of our product was Silver Spotfire. And um, it was grossing like 50K back then. So I couldn't really screw it up, 50K a year. So there wasn't much to ruin. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't much really, you could really mess up, right? No, exactly. I wasn't, it was like a very low risk. Uh, and I remember my roommate was an SDR. He, he became the sales engineer. I became the and so I, I became the sales engineer. He became the salesperson. I remember the sec- secretary and office manager. She became the billing, uh, the renewal and billing person. And we got into like a two million dollar run rate in a year and a half. So it was pretty uh, pretty cool experience. And that was my first time. You know, I got addicted into this whole life cycle of mm-hmm. doing marketing and generating revenue on the other end.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that's uh that's- a fantastic story of a of a journey from engineering to MBA to to actually being, you know, marketing and seeing that whole life cycle of, of revenue. So you know, we've talked about in the past uh, your journey and raising money for metadata. You know, what made you go down the journey of you know using outside money to to build the company versus bootstrapping or the combination of the two? I know now you guys are. You know more or less uh self-funding uh tell me a little bit about that journey
0: uh i didn't really have or didn't consider to have any other option that was how simple that journey was uh i didn't have enough money i mean i used uh a lot of the money that i had you know i took two loans just to do the mba so you can imagine i didn't start from like having a nice um balance sheet uh after i worked and paid back the mba i had some money and uh I used it for, I mm-hmm. think something like seven, eight months, and then uh, I started this consulting. That was the means to an end to prove the technology. Uh, and I saw that it's building, but well, it's building a little slower. And the and, and the industry is getting a lot of funding. And and so, I prefer to go that route uh, so that I can move faster and see if this idea has legs um, mm-hmm. before, the You know, others think about the same concept.
1: No, that's a that's great and you mentioned the you know doing a you know funding it initially with some consulting business uh, as you're also building the product and that's you know in the past that's certainly been a way that a lot of companies have gotten off the ground is that something that you would recommend for for people or would you you know tell them to focus and uh, you know try to to raise money particularly in a, a market that is uh, you know hot for fundraising right now
0: uh, I'm laughing because if I can think about the last few conversations, I do advisory to CEOs, and so if they if they heard this question, they would laugh because I have 100%, 100% recommend raising. Uh, the, the thing I, I recommend most to a CEO not to do is to spend their time, you know, most of their time on consulting unless it has direct causality with your product. Like, you know, if it's kind of consulting that every hour that you do the consulting, you're 5% or 3% smarter about your space, Absolutely and what you want to build. But if it's supplemental things that rely on previous skills that you're not really going to fully use in, as a CEO in this company, then no. Hire immediately for someone that can do this kind of work. Even if you're doing consulting, you yourself don't do the consulting. Hire someone else to do it so you can focus on the business, meaning go and raise money. I mean, even if you raise 300000 it already frees you from these uh, activities that will make your company grow at a slower pace.
1: No, that's, that's great advice. Great advice. Because I mean, as you know, any anytime that you begin to split your focus, uh, the more likely that you're going to miss something important, uh, which kind of leads us into the the next question, which is, you know, when you've raised money and you're growing quickly, particularly as quickly as you guys are, are growing, uh, you know, it's easy to, to lose sight of things and for things to, to maybe feel like they're, uh, going off the rails a little bit. Can you maybe talk about a time when you felt like you guys were growing too fast and you didn't have your arms around everything?
0: Like right now?
1: <laughs> yeah, you mean 30 minutes ago, right? Like, was... like, half an hour, <laughs> like,
0: like this morning? Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's, it's happening all the time. My biggest uh, concern is to grow as fast as the company is growing or faster because the company is growing beyond my comfortable zone and my comfort zone. Um, but I think the team that we have is outstanding and they're proactively, I mean, we're already planning the, we're already planning pretty well ahead for 2022, given that the year didn't even end for us yet. Uh, so I'm, i I also know that we're kind of getting in front of it, uh, in mm-hmm. a way.
1: And so, you know, that kind of leads to how do you, how did you get back on track? And it sounds like hiring great people. And letting them, you know, do help you and, and use their experience to to plan uh and be able to execute along that plan is really the, the best way to to try to get things back on track.
0: Yeah, I would say my tactic my technique um in the past, in the present is to hire great people uh, and then push for the uncomfort zone. So if last year we got into the conversation of how faster can we actually grow? efficiently and we we're able to increase the goals twice last year this year is like let's let's do it earlier uh let's figure those things uh, earlier step outside the comfort zone have those discussion early then you know then make some bets and execute so the rest of the year is clear um so that's what we're trying to do
1: and you mentioned you know growing outside of your comfort zone and and your experience and you know if i recall you know metadata is the you know this is certainly the biggest company I think that you have founded. So, you know, how do you try to find your, you know, how do you keep growing in your own personal skills and you know, making sure that you are the best CEO and and founder that you can be for the company?
0: Uh, Yeah, that I can be for sure. So uh, coaches, I have more than one. Uh, I have one CEO coach that tries to point me to a lot of the, um deficiencies or the way that, you know frameworks of, of thinking about things that I'm that I have challenges with. Uh, and just guide in, in, in the rest, which I found to be exponentially uh you know, the the ROI for this is, is exponential. Um that's Mark Organ. And then I have other other coaches uh for different if I identify weakness or something that I need to have constant improvement, then I would usually either sign up for a program or do something around it. Um, that's how I do it uh, in, a, in, in one way. And then there are some things more for the right time of the brain, you know, just like the mindset and the mood and, and your personal skills. Uh, and I find, uh, you know, doing retreats, whatever it is that, that gives you, uh, you know, kind of uh, outside thinking, um, that, that's something that is very helpful as well.
1: And and so you bring up retreats. Uh, you know, I think your metadata right now is you know nearly a hundred percent remote. Uh, but I don't believe you all were remote before the pandemic. Uh, you know, maybe talk about some of the the challenges that that the company's gone through as you guys have moved to to being remote, and how has that changed the culture?
0: you know um the person responsible and to think to uh for the remote is really olena and emily um olena really wanted to work remote herself so my promise to her was if you made company remote you can move to an island and so she made the company remote and then she moved to an island uh (laughs) so that 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 happened and so we were kind of remote already before uh 2020 um but we're fully remote today, although we do have a few satellite offices where six, seven people come to the office and they feel comfortable with that. Um, some of the big challenges, I think, is the just the social interaction, you know, building trust and just hanging out with people outside of always a business interaction. So, you know, I'm asking for something or updating you or something, so on and so forth. Um, and the happy hours, absolutely, I miss those. Um, yeah, there's are some areas where... Uh, it's it's always nice for one team to hear the other. We get a little bit of that in the satellite office. You know, marketing can hear SDR conversation and, and AE can hear CSN and so on and so forth. Um, and of course, the mood, you know, you don't get a chance to kind of have a pulse check on 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 someone in a more, you know, non-programmed way. You know, you can't just walk around the the floor and see how people are and how they feel and... Is there good vibe and energy, you know, going on or is it, you know, is it it colder, you know? Um, Those are the things that I think are hard, you know, are, are, at least for me, are challenges. And you try to complement them with, you know, happy hours on Zoom and, you know, people logic to help us understand if there is burnout or things like that. Um, We also try to, if we can, uh, do kickoffs for the leadership and meeting meetups for the half a year with a team. And I found that to be uh, relieving from that, um, from that, from that area where it gives you a lot of that camaraderie and connection, even if it's in a short mon- amount of time.
1: Now, And for your kickoffs, are you doing those twice a year? Are you getting those and are those full retreats with those different groups? And are they in person uh, or do they tend to be uh, hybrid? And
0: uh, at least for the last two years, uh, they've been hybrid. Um, we know, if someone wants to come, they can, they don't have to. Uh, and so we do all the sessions, you know, like the, even the leadership kickoffs, we're getting multiple microphones and you know, we try to Zoom the whole thing. We ourselves, if there's a workshop, we connect with the Zoom even if we're in the room. Uh, that's what we've learned from a few events. But yeah, the there is some percent uh, that is going up in terms of in-person attendance.
1: No, mm-hmm. uh, And I think, you know, when we've had conversations with a lot of uh, other founders that, uh, you know, the challenge of getting that vibe, of understanding the vibe from the team at any moment and in a non-programmatic way has, is still something that's been very hard to replicate. It doesn't, you know, yes, the, the virtual happy hours, you know, they work for some people, but they don't work for others. They don't, you know, the CEO doesn't necessarily get that same, uh, feel that you get from just talking to somebody and, and seeing how they actually are, you know, how their body language is. Um, so I think that, you know, there's still a, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the market and in, you know, for companies to be able to to try to figure out, you know, how to make that part of the company transition,
0: uh, if,
1: particularly if we're going to keep being remote and hybrid uh, for the foreseeable future.
0: Right. I would agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: so you know how obviously for you culture and the health of the organization and you know particularly with the way that uh, the company pushes to to grow and grow out of its comfort zone how are you trying to measure the health of the organization how do you keep that pulse um, and you know how does in many ways how does data help your company to to better understand that you guys are a data company at the end of the day and you use a ton of tools and so how are you how are you working to you know continue to involve how you measure that health of of the company and make sure it's pointed in the right direction
0: um in combination of qualitative and quantitative data so you know we get a we run a pulse survey once a month and we present the results uh, in the all hands which is once a month uh, and we measure essentially um, how happy is, a, is a, an employee in the organization, including everyone from leadership to uh, every level, contractors, etc. And then we, uh, that's one point that we use. We also have things like qualitative questions there where we can pull in subjects that are challenges or or things that are working well. And we have that data month to month so we can see some correlations uh, and attendance, of course, participation. Then we also have, of course, Logic AI, which is very helpful. Uh, you aggregate a lot of the, of The data that uh, we would like to analyze without having any of the personal stuff there. So understanding if there are groups that are a little disconnected or in too many meetings, uh so on and so forth, that that helps. Uh, you know, we had instances where we just like told someone like you go and take a a big PTO and it was great. Uh um or, or things like that, which is very very helpful you know things that the organization can do to to support and even you know reduce burnout without um without having to do anything drastic we we hire this uh team that helps that coaches the our our entire team remotely helps you with your energy and first of all does an assessment to see if there is you know you're lacking sleep or you're working on things that that are not energizing or important so on so forth so coaching for the entire team as well you know, these are kind of actions and measurements that we're trying to do mm-hmm. hand in hand. Uh, we're running through it, you know, we're running through a feedback loop and we see what works, what doesn't work, and then we try again. Um, no, that's a, that's super helpful. And, and, you know, this
1: is – you're actually the first company I've heard that's talked about, uh, you know, coaching that, you know, tries to measure even just, you know, are you getting a healthy amount of sleep? What is the, you know – how are you taking care of your mind and not just the the work right that's it's the first time i've heard anybody talk about that now is that something that you came to you know your passion around culture and around you know making sure that the health of the organization can lead to more growth is that something that you came to naturally is that your your own sort of personality or or was this something that you know the company was demanding or that your investors and your board were were saying, hey, you really should be focusing on
0: this? I think it's remarkable that you said your passion for culture. If you told me six years ago that there would be any reality in which someone will say that to me, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> so uh, that tells me a lot. <laughs> uh, absolutely, I did not come up with that as like an interest of mine. I remember talking, hearing about culture, I remember the strategy session the first class from the NBA it was like culture, eat strategy for, for breakfast. And I was absolutely not in agreement with that, but uh, I didn't know much. And uh, I, in the few years that I've been uh, w- you know, running metadata, I've learned about the importance of people and the team and the culture. Um, so yeah, that's how I became very passionate about it. And now I think it's a competitive advantage. You know, as an engineer, Who has the comfort zone around the numbers and processes? uh, The people part, getting that into a science, is uh, is is big, big impact.
1: No, that's. I would I would agree with that as a, you know, mirroring my own experience and in the, you know, it only takes a couple of bad experiences where, you know, before you start to realize that, you know, paying attention to it does start to pay dividends, Um, and so that, uh, you know, once you start getting on that road and you do make it a competitive advantage, I think it becomes something that, uh, you know, then it becomes much easier to recruit people uh, and you start to, you know, really up the level of the talent that that you're able to find to join the team. So, you know, tell me a little bit, what's your number one fear for, for 2022 as it relates to, to metadata?
0: I mean, you touched it, <laughs> growing while keeping the same high caliber and the openness and, and camaraderie and, and the, all the good things that I love about our culture, uh, that's a big area of, um, I don't know, attention. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, to give it.
1: So, you know, you guys grew, I guess, if I recall, you know, more than looks like more than 40 or 50 percent last year in terms of the, the number of people on the team. Are you planning on growing that quickly again uh, this year as well?
0: Yeah, uh, we are. We're just going through this discussion right now. We're trying to understand what is a, a goal that we're comfortable with um, and hire accordingly. Yeah.
1: And you know, uh, in terms of keeping that culture, then are, are do you incorporate the you know uh, the broader team uh, to help you through the interview process and in vetting candidates and? Making sure that you know people are the right culture fit, or is it a, a limited set of people that are uh, tend to be involved?
0: Uh, it depends. For the seniority, I would say for the leadership roles, definitely there is it's it's there. And I would say probably for most of them, I'm not involved in all the hiring, but I can see that there are at least three uh, to four people, and I know that some of them check for for culture. Um, but honestly, I don't know the answer to that, and that's something that I have to. Uh, to get better at, and I would say be proactive about these kind of uh, questions because if, you know, we do need to have a clear process where we assess for that and, and, uh, and you know, be upfront about it and even, even be kind of publish it. So that's, that's a lot of the work for us doing this year. And, you know, really as we get near
1: to the, to the end of our, our questions here, how will you know, you know, I think you very clearly, I think you still identify as a startup. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, how will you know when you really when you're starting to turn that corner from being a a startup to to more of a scale up or a, a growth company?
0: You know what I I heard something uh, that both people who work in PEs and another friend who is an investor they once said the same kind of sentence to me. They said, "Gil, once you get to a big enough number, it's just about changing variables in the spreadsheet." Uh, it's just like processes and changing variables in the spreadsheet. Uh, I was like, "Oh my god, okay." So uh, <laughs> not there yet, uh, or you know, I think maybe when you get to the level of thinking, is probably, uh, is probably, is probably when you when you think about it, it's not a startup anymore. I'm uh, we're I'm very focused on uh, on building something that is different. It takes advantage. It arbitra- It takes an arbitrage advantage diversity being one of them and culture being one of them and, and pricing and, and the way we scale, uh, there's no reason we shouldn't be innovative, not just in our technology, but also in the way we scale. And I think as long as you innovate and you experiment, you have, you have some budget to make mistakes and can maximize your, uh, you know, your your output, you will have fun. And of course, if you know some of it works, then the company grows even faster and more efficiently. You will also have a, a better financial return as long as this is happening, we're growing fast and we're having fun and learning. Uh, it's a startup. If it stops, uh, you know, any of those things, you know, if it's like ten percent growth or not really having fun, uh, maybe I'm I, I not working for a startup anymore.
1: <laughs> no, I I love that answer and I love that the, you know, your definition of when it stops really revolves around whether or not you're having fun building the company and. And making it grow faster and being able to, you know, set chart the course uh, through experimentation. I think that's a that's a great way to to approach it. And so, the team too, right? Like if you know yep.
0: that's, it's it's on me and, and on everyone to like make sure when it's not fun to like take a breather and make it fun again.
1: No, I, I love that. I love that. So, you know, the last question we always like to ask people is so what other CEO or founder would you like us to, to have on the show next?
0: Oh, there's so many great ones. You know, uh, Mark Organ, I think, is a great CEO, obviously. Uh, so I'll, I'll nominate him. I think Nick Meta is, uh, is a really great CEO that I uh, I look up to. Um, Manny Medina in the growth. He's done, uh, I think, Henry Shook's uh, M&A strategy. There are some amazing ones out there. Those are the first that come to mind. Goddard as a repeat one.
1: Fantastic. Well, we'll uh, we'll reach out to some of those. I think we've got some connections, and we'll uh, we'll see if we can get them on the show. Gil, thanks so much for for joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation and hearing a little bit more about uh, how you do what you do and and all the success of metadata. Thank you.
0: Thank you Matthew. I appreciate the friendship, but thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the At the Corner Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to us wherever you get your podcasts. For show notes or more information visit www.atthecornerpodcast.com. The ideas discussed during this episode are the opinions of the participants and do not serve as legal or financial advice. Until next time, this is the At The Corner Podcast.